and <laughs> then you can join us after large group next week. All right, now to the matter at hand. Uh, my name is Derek, campus pastor here at RUF, and this semester we are working through a series in the book of Philippians, titled the series Connected, A Life of Joy. And uh, the basic premise, if you read through the book of Philippians, is that connection to Jesus changes everything. And uh, it's interesting, you know, talking to you, college students, college is a time of change, of course. It's pretty interesting to see it happen. I, I have sort of a second row seat to people's lives changing over three, four, sometimes five years. And, uh, you know, what I see is that almost everyone comes to college wanting to change some. You know, uh, lots and lots of people want to know more, improve their resume, get in shape, make better friends. Some people want to change a lot. Some people want to change a lot. About 8% of those people came back at the beginning of this fall looking like Billie Eilish. Um, some people want to change a lot. Um, but tonight we're going to see that connection to Jesus changes even the way we think about change. Even the way we think about change is changed by a connection to Jesus. I'll be speaking uh, mostly about the last three verses, 9 through 11, but I'm going to read 1 through 11. So here we go. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I'll hold you in my heart for you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God's my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. All right, I'm going to pray. Feel free to join me. All right, good Father, we ask you be kind in our weariness and our distraction to sharpen our minds and soften our hearts and show us beautiful things in your word. In particular, show us Jesus and the beautiful life he has for us. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. I don't know where I got this, and that's too bad. I'd like to be able to quote the source, but this is a description that will ring true for almost all of you. It's uh, out of an article, so I'm going to read it, but it's pretty interesting. It may actually haunt you a little bit. Here we go. Harold's high school was structured like a brain. The executive function, you know, the principal and administrators, operated under the illusion that they ran the school. But below, amidst the lockers and the hallways, the real work of the organism took place. The exchange of notes, saliva, crushes, rejections, friendships, feuds, and gossip. There were 1,000 students, therefore roughly 1,000 times 1,000 relationships, the real substance of high school life. The administrators believed the school existed to fulfill some socially productive process of information transmission, you know, like science projects on a poster board. But in reality, of course, high school is a machine for social sorting, 
The purpose of high school was to give young people a sense of where they fit. In high school, life was dominated by a universal struggle for admiration and approval. Students divided into cliques. Each clique had its own invisible pattern of behavior. Gossip was used to spread information on how each person in the clique was supposed to behave and to cast shame on those who violated the rules. Now, students would burn out if they were forced to spend their entire day in the social intensity of the cafeteria or hallway. So fortunately, the administrators also scheduled dormant periods that they called classes, during which students could rest their minds and take a break from the pressures of social categorization. Is that... Uh, does anyone miss that? Anyone miss that from high school? You know, man, I wish I was back there. That was, that was great. Here's, here's the kicker. The kicker is that we can go through college and even life stuck in high school. Living as though life is some sort of big beauty contest that we have to perform in order to find approval in order to fit in, in order to find our people. And some of us will carry that idea right into our relationship with God. But the good news we see in our text tonight is that Jesus changes all this. In Jesus, life's not a beauty contest. It's a beautification project. And that's what we're going to talk about. Not a beauty contest, but a beautification project. So life is not a beauty contest. Some of you are thinking, I know, I've never got a tiara, I don't dress up and dance. But man, we can live as though we have to earn approval by our performance, by standing out. We do this in order to fit in and find our place. But when you read this text, uh, we find that all the aspects of a beauty contest are sort of missing. For instance, there's not a standard standard here. Beauty contests have standards, criteria, scores, right? Categories, things you have to do. And, uh, you know, Pitt can feel that way too. How are you doing in the area of grades and internships and service and resume building and leadership and social cachet? All these areas you feel like you're supposed to check off in order to be a perfect, successful student. And what you have here is an altogether atypical standard of what matters. In verse 10, Paul says that you may approve what is excellent. Some people translate that. You may approve what is actually important, what actually matters. And he says that's tied up in verse 10 with a love that abounds more and more with knowledge and wisdom. What matters to Jesus is a love that abounds more and more with knowledge and wisdom. Man, that's a, a very different kind of standard, right? And are in a really demanding one, amazingly hard one. Some of you are thinking like, abounding love. I love everyone. That's great. I, I love everyone. People are great. I love everyone. Do you love them with knowledge and discernment? Are you willing to tell them when they're wrong? Do you know how to counsel them when their life is going off the rails? No. And some of you are thinking, abounding knowledge. Pretty good at knowledge. Do you do you love much? Are you abounding in love? 
Paul says we're supposed to have both. Love that abounds with knowledge and wisdom. That's his standard. And wow, what an what a, what a unstandard, atypical standard. It's also not a contest. You know, a contest involves something you practice, something you put on, something you rehearse, something you act out. But this is different. This is about becoming. In verse 10, Paul says that you may be pure, that you may be blameless. Not interested in your performance. It's no contest. This is about who you are becoming. And the contest involves, you know, competition, comparison. That's the nature of this. And some of you feel that. Maybe you're, some of you are used to it. But some of you have got here and you can't help when you sit into class but wonder, am I smart enough? And on your floor, am I social or pretty or whatever enough to fit in here? But Paul's making it clear, this is not a contest. There's, there's no other contestants involved. Contestants, whatever, you're supposed to love them. Instead of competing with them, you're supposed to love them abundantly. It's not a contest. And, and lastly, it's, it's not about you. It's not for your glory. It's not for you. It's not about you showing off, you earning approval. In verse 11, it's for the glory and the praise of God. He's told us what matters, and what matters is abounding love. And now he tells us who matters. And in the end, it's, it's not ultimately me. It's that I should do things for God's glory because he's worthy. It's not all about me. Because he loves me so much, I actually want to show him off and not myself. And so in this life, I can live for God's glory and the good of others. In other words, Paul's describing a kind of life, not a beauty contest, where you're so secure in God's love that you don't need the world's approval, your floor mate's approval, even your professor's approval. You don't need to be better than others. It's a different kind of life. Now, I've told this story a couple times. Whenever I tell it, people get sad. I'm going to tell it anyway. When I was like... I don't know, eight or nine years old, my church, because it was one of those little Baptist churches that didn't believe you should go off Halloween, uh, had a Halloween party, a costume party. And my dad took great lengths that evening to make sure I would win. He, like, tore up all the sheets in the house, it seemed like, in order to make me a mummy. And uh, I was a practiced mummy. I was ready. I had, had all the sound effects ready. I was thoroughly wrapped. And I was confident I was going to win, I knew I was great. I knew I could play the part. And, uh, you know, I was looking forward to coming home and telling my dad I won. But when I got to the church, I noticed that, like, this little thing was hanging off down there. It was falling apart. I was starting to unravel. And so uh, I can still remember this like it was yesterday. So I disappeared into the bathroom and tried to fix it. But the more I tried to fix it, the worse it got. And I kept trying to fix it. And it wasn't perfect. I kept trying to fix it. I kept trying to fix it. And eventually I came out and walked down the hall and asked someone for help. I completely lost track of time. I said, could you help me because I want to get this thing ready for the contest? And they're like, Derek, you've missed the contest. It's, it's over. Completely missed it. And, yes, yeah, right. So, yes, all some of you getting like, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I should have won. <laughs> and, uh, man, uh, I missed it because I had to be perfect. I just had to be perfect. And I was trying to fix myself in private rather than coming to someone like my dad who could help me. And so what did I really end up missing? Well, I ended up missing, like, my father's pride. I ended up missing, like, all the joy of the party. I, I just missed it. 
because I was too busy trying to win it, trying to perform just right. Friends, life's not a beauty contest. Neither is college, despite how it seems. You, you can choose to live that way. You can. Lots of people are. Most people do. Trying to be perfect, performing in order to get approval that they might find the place where they fit in. But that is often a lonely, anxious life, an obsessive life, where you are away trying to fix yourself so you look great, so you fit in. And it's also going it to be a very narrow life. Maybe you crush that class, and maybe you look great every day. Be good at one or two things. Maybe three. Maybe you're really great. You can be great at three or four things. But what about the big question? The big, big question. What kind of person are you becoming? The big question. What kind of person are you actually becoming? And Paul here has good news for us. Well, you don't have to live life like it's a beauty pageant. Like a beauty contest. Because Jesus is about making us beautiful. Life's a beautification project if we know Jesus. Jesus is out to make us like himself. And uh, when we read this text, one of the words that jumps off the page to me is fruitful. Our lives are supposed to be fruitful. Uh, verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness. You know, what's the best part of the grocery store? Well, it's John Eagle. There are no good parts. All these are no good parts. Sorry, guys. Um, well, the most attractive part of the grocery store is it's the produce section, man. You sort of, sort of want to live there. It's like a camp there. It's lush. Here, like water in the background. I just want to stay there. No one wants to like live in the canned goods section. Um, it does. There's something attractive about fruit-filled life. And... It's supposed to be beautiful, and it's abounding in love with knowledge and discernment. The picture here is that God's out to make you fruitful. Your life should be characterized by growth. You should look like Jesus. He's out to make you beautiful. And what he describes here is if you're a Christian, your life is fruitful now. Maybe just a little bit. Maybe in process, partially, but eventually, completely. He uses the phrase, pure and blameless at the day of Jesus, that he will finally one day completely make you beautiful and righteous and fruitful. And uh, there's a lot of you here that I don't know yet. Hope, hope we can change that. But uh, some of you are self-loathers. Some of you are like, who's he talking to? Well, usually someone you don't even expect. But some of you are self-loathers. You, you really beat up on yourself. Nothing's good enough. And I need you to latch on to this good news. What he's working in you now, that's partial, and just a tiny little bit beautiful, he will finish. He will make you beautiful. He'll make it complete and right. Gorgeous, rich, wonderful. Now, there are also probably some people here that are uh, thinking like, yeah, well, that's very interesting, but my experience from watching others is Christians are a little bit boring. And this life you're describing is not particularly appealing to me right now. And if that's the way you think, you're certainly entitled to that. But are you actually dealing with reality here or just a caricature? 
Because the Christian life, as it's supposed to be lived, that Jesus produces in it, produces in us, should look like this. Love and joy, peace, and patience, kindness. Someone, go ahead. Goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's beautiful. You, you, don't, you don't need that. You don't want a little bit want that in your life. And some of you are thinking, man, my, my, my life's so far from that. What an utter mess. Well, if that's the way you feel and uh, you would say that you know Jesus, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you a little bit. Messy things are alive. If you're a Christian, your life's going to be messy. It just is. I have a bunch of kids. You should come to my house on some day that I haven't cleaned it. It's, it's proof that there are living, growing things there. And the moment you stop being messy, friends, you are dead. It's just the way it is. If your life's a little bit messy, well, congratulations, you're still alive. And as you grow in Jesus, you're going to be a little bit messy. But that's okay. He's at work making you beautiful like himself. And I want to encourage you that uh, you know, this is not all up to you, that the fruitful life is actually a faithful life. The way you get this growth in your life is by faith, is by a life of faith. Verse 11, we're filled with the fruit of righteousness. How? It's up there. Through Jesus Christ. You don't manufacture this on your own. It's by virtue of your relationship to Jesus. It's by connection to Him. It's by resting in Him. It's this idea called being connected to Him. This is not so much your performance as it is your resting in Him. You're trusting Him. We talked last week about how if you trust Jesus, He declares you to be right. That's justification. Once He does that, He moves in and begins to make you right. Make you beautiful like himself. We call that sanctification. And Jesus says, you do this. You change. You become more beautiful like him by abiding in him. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Now, abiding sounds really easy. You're doing it now. Some of you are like, no, nah, it's not easy. I can't wait to get out of here. That's right. Abiding is actually hard. It's really hard to just stay. In Jesus. Uh, and I don't mean like he like running away forever, he'll let us go. No, I mean to grow in him, to abide in him means we have to keep coming back to hear the good news of Jesus over and over. We have to meditate on it. We have to take it in deep. We have to cut through all our personal BS and lies and bureaucratic tape and be honest before God and say, oh, I really am a mess. I need you to forgive me and make me right. That his love might change us. Deep down from the inside first. From the inside out. And if you're listening and saying, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. This is not anything like I've ever heard about Christianity. There's a bunch of us here that would love to talk to you about that. Callie and myself. Zanita to start with. If you really want to know, we would love to chat with you. If you're here and you're, you're a Christian, I, I want you to know that pretty much everything we do except for maybe a dance party every now and then, is, is geared toward this. It's geared toward this, that you might hear the good news of Jesus and rest in it, that you might be changed by it. That's why we do what we do. 
Because we're convinced this is what produces growth in your life and what makes a beautiful community. The end of this, friends, is a beautiful community. Uh, I'm not saying a perfect community. There is no such thing. No perfect. If you're looking at a bunch of campus ministries, let me tell you right now, none of them are perfect. Uh, Most of them are really good. No perfect churches. But it is a beautiful one. It should have individuals that are growing, becoming more like Jesus. And, and because they're secure in Jesus' love, that means they've quit comparing themselves to one another. I can stop comparing myself to you and just love and serve you instead. I don't have to push you down to make myself feel better. I can serve you and lift you up because you're my brother. You're my sister. I care for you. And I don't have to, out of my insecurity, try really hard to fit in. No, I, I know I already belong. So I can stop thinking about myself so much and welcome other people into the party. That's a great place to be. That's a beautiful community. I think we so often, because we're surrounded by it, get caught in the trap of thinking it's a beauty pageant, that we have to change ourselves in order to be approved, in order to fit in. And once we fit into the right place, then we'll get connected. And Jesus completely reverses that he changes the way we think about change no when you're connected to jesus he changes you he connects you to himself and he connects you to a community and then he fits you and changes you in order to love that community and make that community even more beautiful there's this really weird beautiful movie that came out about 12 years ago called little miss sunshine anyone seen little miss sunshine four of us I just keep quoting movies that no one's seen. Anyway, this thing is a gem. It's a gem. Do you agree? Yes. yes okay. Ha ha. See, you don't take my word for it because you wouldn't anyway. Anyway, uh, Little Miss Sunshine revolves around a family, the Hoovers, who are highly dysfunctional, a very broken family. In particular, their small daughter, uh, Olive Hoover, a sweet girl who wants nothing more in life than to be in a beauty pageant. The problem is, she's not really beauty pageant material. You're thinking, that's a mean thing to say. Well, the movie goes out of the way to make it clear. Um, her family lets her enter the regional competition. And when the winner is disqualified, Olive wins and gets to go to the national competition. Uh, the family decides, you know, they'll make a road trip of it. And they all get in the van and they drive. And uh, being a dysfunctional family... It's a very dysfunctional trip. It's a tragic trip and comedic all at once. And when they finally arrive, because they've been completely consumed with their own brokenness and not paying any attention to her at all, they begin to realize just how weird this is, this pageant, this culture, how toxic it is. Uh, And they realize, like, we've done nothing to prepare Olive for this at all. Um, But it's her dream. They let her perform. And fortunately, even though they didn't prepare her, her grandfather did. Her, her grandfather had taken it upon himself the, the task of helping her design a dance routine. Unfortunately, Grandpa was a dirty old man. He really loved his granddaughter a lot, and he spent endless hours with her on this routine. And when Sweet Olive takes the stage, she grabs the mic and says, I'd like to dedicate this to my grandpa, who taught me these moves and everyone in the audience sighs and coos and then the music begins 
and it's Super Freak by Rick James. <laughs> if you're not familiar, these are some of the lyrics. She's a very kinky girl, the kind you don't take home to mother. And as the music starts, Olive starts dancing like a stripper. Fortunately, her clothes stay on. The crowd is mortified. Pageant administration, the officials are screaming. They're livid. They're screaming at their father to get his daughter off the stage. And Sweet Olive is completely oblivious to all this, dancing with pure joy on her face. And Dad, feeling pressure from the officials, walks up and doesn't know what to do. And then he just suddenly starts dancing, dancing with his daughter. And then, like, the weird eccentric uncle sees it, and he jumps on stage, and he starts dancing. And then, uh, most surprisingly, the sulking 16-year-old boy, her brother, who has had a nine-month vow of silence, only recently broken when he learned his dreams, like his dream plan for life was dashed completely. Coming out of that, he jumps on stage and begins to dance joyfully with his sister. One by one, the whole family joins Olive and begins to dance. And when the song ends, uh, the, the sound guy, the guy working the sound in the back, he claps. A biker dude over there stands up and goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but everyone else is mortified, livid. Furious that this family has destroyed the dignity of their pageant. But this is true. If you watch this movie, you will cry at this scene. Unless you're hard-hearted. Some of you probably are. But uh, because by this time you know their story. How broken and dysfunctional they are. They don't do anything together with joy. How much uh, Olive is dancing because she loves her grandfather. How this brother who's heartbroken and angry is able to drop it all and join his sister joyfully because he loves her. It's, it's positively beautiful because what you're watching as they dance together is a family that's healing. It's healing. It's, it's growing. It's changing right there before your very eyes. It's really beautiful. And some of you are thinking, that's a pretty weird story, Derek. You were surrounded by a beauty pageant. It's going on every day. And you have a choice. You can live a beauty pageant, or you can do something else. Life is not a beauty contest. And if you live like it is, you will be tempted every now and then to stay in your bathroom and try to make yourself perfect and get really good at one or two things so you might fit in here or there. But if you do, you're going, to miss, you're going to miss the joy of the Father. You're going to miss the beauty 